0: All right, so there's this uh, there's this observation in the book of Acts, in chapter four, where um, people recognize, like they they recognize that Peter and John, who are described as unschooled ordinary men, um, they recognize that the reason that they are able to teach with such boldness and speak with such authority, um, is because quote these men had been with Jesus. So when you're reading Acts chapter 4 and you, you come across uh, verse 12, where, you know, we're, we're concluding this message um, by Peter that salvation exists in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Uh, the observation is then made, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And then they recognized these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. These were not just guys who knew about Jesus. These were guys who knew Jesus. And so, um, I shared in the first hour that, uh, Uh, that I was in a Sunday school class yesterday where they were discussing J.I. Packer's Knowing God book, and they were talking about chapter two, which differentiates between knowing about God and knowing God. And I was reminded that the evidence of knowing God is like great energy and passion for God and godliness and also this joyful, tireless talking about God, talking about God's goodness and his great attributes and his actions, not only in human history, but in our own lives. It is a testimony. Um, and so who do you know? Who do you know who does that? Who do you know who um, has all this great passion and energy for God and godliness? Who provokes you uh, to, toward not just knowing about God, but knowing God? Who are those people? Um, I'm reminded about uh, of a book by Don um, Everts about the reluctant witness. I'm reminded, um, you know, in, in terms of, I mean, you know, it's not I'm not sharing this out of like, oh, I wrote a whole book about this, but I did. I wrote a whole book about this called Speak the Truth, How to Get God Back into Every Conversation. It literally is about how how do I, as a Christian, engage in the conversations of the day in such a way that people get a glimpse of God. Not me, but God. Like, how do you get God back into the conversation? So uh, if you want a copy, that's what we're giving away today. We're giving away copies of Speak the Truth. So all you have to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. Follow the link. The book you're looking for is Speak the Truth. The author is me, Carmen LeBurge. All right, we got a rising tide of anxiety in the world right now related to the spread of the coronavirus. And so up next, Dr. Linda Mental and I are going to talk about how we deal with heightened anxiety and how we help others deal with it as well. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Now, Dr. Linda Mental from the Dr. Linda Mental Show, uh, and Linda, wow, we've got a rising tide of um, of anxiety in the culture today. Uh, thank you so much for um, for joining us today to talk about that
2: yeah I have a couple interesting stories related to that. My uh, daughter was visiting uh New York City uh, last weekend and she um she was feeling fine and she was staying with her cousin in queens and uh, she had gone to a New York Rangers game that night and came home at about one thirty in the morning started feeling violently sick and uh, she was vomiting and it was just really really awful. it went on it, it, she got really 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 sick and the first thing she called me in the morning she said, said, Mom, do I have the coronavirus? <laughs> I was like, Katie, no, that is not the coronavirus. That's not how it presents. And, um, you know, very doubtful. At that point, there had been no cases uh, indicating I think there's the first one in, in New York uh, today. I think that it was reported. But um, and that was the first thing on her mind. And then her cousin that she was um, that she was staying with in his apartment, uh, his fiance is Chinese, and she every year goes home to uh, China for the Chinese New Year. And she had gone home this January, and she is now quarantined in Beijing um, under martial law. Um, because of the coronavirus. And she is able to text us and and talk to us via internet. But she said uh, about a week ago that there was the building across from her, there were ambulances and the building was quarantined. And it's a little bit frightening uh, for her to be in the middle of all that. And she is an architect in New York City. And she has no idea when she's ever going to be released to come back to the States. So it's hitting us in in usual ways uh, in terms of, you know, a lot of people listening probably have uh, elderly parents in long-term care facilities. I was always concerned about that when my dad was alive, when the flu virus would start and would break out in a community. So I think we just have to be uh, very aware of what the information is, getting good information, and then like with anything that affects us that makes us fearful, anxious, we need to know how to cope with that.
0: So I'm talking with Dr. Linda Mental. Um you can hear her here on the Faith Radio Network, the Dr. Linda Mental show. You can also find her online. Remind us of your best the best website. You have so it's many. Dr
2: Linda dot com.
0: It's easy, yeah, my name. So that's the easy one. Dr Mental is spelled M I N T L E. Um, Linda, um when we when we think about like reasonable uh you know, the, the sort of the reasonable steps we're each gonna all take um, you know, we're we're all gonna wash our hands more. We're all going to wipe down surfaces much more frequently with I don't know, Clorox wipes. Um we're we're all gonna do those things. Um right. maybe we are going to reconsider international travel. Although let me let me lift that up as a as a concern here. Um, you know, I know of local high schools where they've got trips planned this spring, um, you know, annual annual senior trips, many of them international, or Uh, mission trips abroad over spring break. I don't know, give us a little sense of um, what you would be doing as maybe a parent or a professor um, looking at that kind of upcoming international travel schedule.
2: Well, I, I actually have been following that because I have a trip to Spain uh, coming up. It's not—it's not for a couple of months, so you know I'm thinking that the the virus, uh, the flu season is going to be winding down significantly during that. But there are international alerts. You can you can go on the CDC webpage and um, you can look at the alerts. Right now, I think it's Japan. Iran is having some issues, and there's a couple other countries. Italy, Italy is one. Um, and you just look at the alerts, and you look at what the advisories are, it was interesting because with our travel, uh, the travel agency provided Updates to that part of the world and what is going on and what their policies are going to be about travel. I think, you know, right now, all of the cruise ships and the um, international flights, people are deciding, you know, what you can do. And um, I I just think the issue here is you just have to check and you have to travel. And we need to keep in perspective, and I, I know people know this, but, you know, the comparison of the number of deaths that have been with the coronavirus versus the regular, Regular flu. I know it's not regular in that it does affect people, and people are there have been so many deaths to the regular flu. But when you're looking at the differences, by the end of February, I think it was 2,800, 2800 and some cases of worldwide deaths from the coronavirus versus the flu virus, which had 291,000 deaths. And the same is true in the United States. So many more people, the thousands of people, die each year from the flu. And uh, we've we've had only, I know to those two people it's very significant, but we've had two deaths so far from the coronavirus. And each of those cases – very similar to flu deaths, you know, the people usually have underlying health conditions that make their immune system much more vulnerable to any type of disease, and they usually are older, elderly people or infants um, where, who just don't have much of an immune system built yet. So. You, you have to keep it in perspective. It's horrible. And uh, I know a lot of people during flu season who don't get their flu shots at all. And uh, we don't seem to have mass hysteria about that. But part of it is because I think when you're dealing with anything that is unknown, and we really don't know when a new virus comes in, how it's going to spread, how infectious it's going to be, you know, it makes you feel very powerless. And that fear of the unknown is what triggers so many people. And I think also, um, Carmen, a, a really good uh, indicator for people is if you are somebody who has anxiety, if you are somebody that struggles maybe with generalized anxiety, or there is a type of anxiety called illness anxiety, uh, where you're very concerned about health issues no matter what, so the normal response to any type of um, germ, or or breakout, or any type of exposure to an illness, or even reading about illnesses on the internet triggers uh, a great deal of anxiety in people. Or if you're someone who's had trauma in your background, I think when I was thinking about it, those are the three groups that would probably be the most susceptible to really having that fear and anxiety overwhelm them and uh, make it very difficult, you know, from a day-to-day perspective.
0: So, uh, Dr. Linda, how about when we come back from the break, we um, we pivot to a conversation about prevention of mental illness in our kids. Um, I, I feel like if there is a way, uh, if there are ways that we can prevent mental illness in our kids, man, everybody's going to want to know about that. So uh, next up, Dr. Linda Mental on actually her own piece, which is the best way to prevent mental illness in your children. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Talking with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com. Linda, let's talk about um, preventing mental illness in our kids. And then I also want to talk about resilience related to those who do experience childhood trauma. So this conversation starts with um, the causes of mental illness. And what are you pointing to in this particular piece?
2: One of the most uh, known causes of child children being vulnerable to developing a mental illness even later in life is exposure to any type of uh, abuse or trauma. There, There's a huge study done years ago and a scale came out of it called the ACE scale and that scale is adverse childhood experiences and they looked at a number of kids who had uh, high percentages of mental illness and and especially uh, even later in their teen years and their adult years and they noticed that there were several factors that were very strong predictors of whether or not those children would have psychiatric problems. And so that is those those factors are something that can be dealt with. It's not they're not genetically related. They're not you know something that we can't do anything about. It really has to do with creating strong families, making sure kids are safe, secure in their growing up years, that they have good influences on them. And you know one of the interesting um, things about how do you help a child who then begins to experience anxiety and trauma and and fear about the world because they're Home environment is not very safe, or they've been exposed to a lot of very difficult things. It kind of relates to what we were talking about with the coronavirus. It's one of the things that I've been talking to people about during the last couple of weeks, and that is. It's, it's helpful to limit your exposure to media that shows a lot of disturbing events and storylines. And when you hear the media hyping, you know, fears and trying to get people to be uh, concerned that, you know, the world is an unsafe place and maybe from a political reason because they want to get a candidate out or whatever the cause might be, children pick up on those things. They hear those things. You know, Carmen, I remember during 9-11, a lot of people were in their, you know, in their homes watching the footage over and over of the planes hitting the towers, and I just did not allow my kids, they were young at the time, I didn't allow them to watch that. Because they can 't make sense of it in their young developmental ages, it just makes them fearful and anxious, and they feel more out of control. so one of the things we know is that kids like to feel secure in their families, and when they have trauma, which is relates to things like divorce and um, you know sexual abuse and um, you know insecurity over uh injuries or illnesses or any type of trauma event in their life and it's not worked through then kids can become very fearful and very anxious
0: all right and and so when i just start thinking through the percentage of children in the culture who have divorce or Mm -hmm. or i mean not even divorce i mean parents who were never married like they're just not they're not even growing Mm up in it with any kind of connection to that sort of family system um, right. And then the percentage of kids who suffer w- emotional or or physical or sexual abuse, like these numbers right. in our culture today are really really high. they 're huge really they 're
2: huge so yeah, and 't want to make it, i don 't want to make it sound like anybody going through a divorce who 's listening is going to you know, traumatize their children it 's just a risk factor it 's a risk right. factor because it, what it does for a child, the, the biggest thing that you need in those early years, especially, is you need to, a child needs to have this, what's called a secure attachment. They need to know that they can count on you, that you're going to be consistent. You're going to be predictable in what you do. And in some ways we can contrast that to God, right? One of the reasons why we have such security in our relationship with God is because he's always there he never abandons us. He never treats us horribly. He's with us wherever we go. We can always count on him, and his word never changes. So that creates a secure attachment in each of us, and that is a corrective factor. If you have not such a great good father in on earth, you can always attach to that good father in heaven, and that can be a healing and a corrective factor. But kids need that in their everyday life. They need parents who are consistently there, who are predictable, who are going to help them with their emotional lives and to figure out how to develop in healthy and flourishing ways. And you're right, with with people just having babies, without having um, committed families, through a process of marriage, um, working through their difficulties, trying to stay together, giving kids good role models for all of that, it it's It results, and it's going to result in more and more kids feeling insecure and having a lot of problems when they get older. It's all related.
0: So, uh, again, I am I am reading from a piece that Dr. Linda Mental has posted at DrLindaMental.com, the best way to prevent mental illness in your child. Um, one of the things that you talk about in here I, was a little bit surprising to me. Um, this allowing your child to express emotions through drawing if talking uh, is mm-hmm. difficult this um, talk about the role of art or creative play.
2: It's a very important medium for kids because they don't always have the words and they don't have abstract concepts in their head to integrate and make sense of a lot of things that are happening, but they can draw dark pictures or, uh, you know, a scary person. Um, they can communicate through art. It's it's one of the things that are used in inpatient psychiatric units. Often it's a part of that adjunct services that we provide for kids. So drawing, music, movement, uh, play therapy, all the ways in which kids can then express themselves and can start to deal with their emotions, sometimes just showing Kids emojis of different faces and saying which one of these would fit you. They can point to it. They might not be able to tell you what they're feeling, but they can certainly recognize it on a on a on a phone or some kind of you know uh, iPad or something. So helping just get that out with kids. And and one of the things I say in that piece is the worst thing you can do is if there's tension and there are problems and things are kind of scary because kids pick that up in adults. They can feel it from an adult when you're not sure um, don't say to them nothing is wrong because they know that's not true and they know and then they get even more scared what you need to do is just reassure it, reassure them that you know there you know there are some difficulties um, people are a little bit scared about things but we're not going to get scared because we're going to count on god and this is a great then moment to bring in your faith And to help your kids understand that our hope and our trust is in the Lord. And he is a present help in times of trouble. And we can turn to him. We can cry out to him. And we can ask the Lord for protection and to keep us safe. And we can pray with our kids then and say, let's pray about that now. And let's look on Jesus because Jesus is with us no matter where we go. And he will be with us and help us through this difficult time. And it's a reassurance. I had that with my grandparents. Uh, My grandfather was a minister. He would always bring that perspective into the family, and it would just calm everybody down, would focus us on the Lord, not on our circumstances. And that's the way that you continue to move through this life with the assurance that you don't have to be overwhelmed by fear. Dr. Linda Mental,
0: thank you as always so much. You guys can catch the Dr. Linda Mental show right here on the Faith Radio Network. You can also read what she is blogging about at DrLindaMental.com. Linda, thanks again.
2: Great to be with you. Take care. We'll be
0: you too. We'll be right back. All right. Next up, we've got what I simply like to call "Around the World" with Dr. David Aikman. Um, we're going to touch on uh, things that are happening globally around the world today. The Israeli election. What's going on in Syria, particularly in the region of Idlib. Uh, We have been talking about those things. Um, One thing that I'm not scheduled to talk with Dr. Aikman about, but certainly want to continue to be prayerful about, and that is the peace agreement reached between the United States and the Taliban uh, in terms of a forward-looking plan for the nation of Afghanistan. So let's let's be certainly praying the news on that particular front. Little shout out to a listener who said, hey, in the face of the coronavirus, we need to be praying. And she lifted up Psalm 91. So here is Psalm 91 from the message. You who sit down in the presence of the Most High God and spend the night in Shaddai's shadow, say this. God, you're my refuge, and I trust in you. I am safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps and shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Therefore, fear nothing. Fear nothing. Not wild wolves in the night or flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls around in the darkness, and not disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb all around and drop like flies right and left, no harm will graze you. You'll stand untouched. You'll watch it all from a distance. You'll watch as people turn to corpses. Yes, because God is your refuge, the high God your home, evil cannot get close to you. Harm cannot get through the door. He has ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go, and if you stumble, they'll catch you. Their job is to keep you from falling. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes, and you'll kick them from the path. God says, if you'll hold on to me for dear life, I'll get you out of every trouble. I'll give you the best of care, and you'll only get to know and trust me more and more. So call upon me, and I'll answer. Be at your side in the bad times. I'll rescue you, and then we'll throw a party. give you a long life and then a long drink of salvation let the word of the lord speak into your life today and let it comfort you Uh, let us be people who grow anxious for nothing but in prayer and supplication present all of our concerns to the lord our god and find our rest in the refuge of his company next up around the world with dr david aikman we'll be right back
1: this is max locato Are you open to the idea of a father, a heavenly father who knows you? A soon-to-be home that awaits you? Would you consider this life-changing idea? The almighty and all-knowing God has set his affection on you. Every detail about you he knows. Your interests, your hang-ups, your fears, your failures, he knows you. About his children, God says, the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. First Chronicles 28 and verse 9. King David wrote, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. Do you know this God who knows you? He knows your name, and he can't wait to get you home. The ever-recurring, soul-lifting message of heaven, the Lord delights in you. Isaiah 62 and verse 4. This is Max Locato.
3: My name is Bond, James Bond.
0: Joining me now, Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed magazine. Welcome back, sir.
3: Thank you very much, Carmen. Good to be on the program.
0: I've decided that we're gonna name our segment. I think I feel like it needs a name, so it's gonna be Around the World with Dr. David Aikman.
3: Ah, okay.
0: Do you like Good that? Time. Is that good with you? All right, fantastic. Okay,
3: as long as, as, long as it's clear that I'm not actually uh, um, standing for 7 so, uh, so I'll, I'll do that fine.
0: You know, um, of course, you would say that if you were. So there you go. Um, that whole deniability thing—that's like a part of the whole secret, yeah, agent business. Let's talk about the global uh, um, efforts against the coronavirus. Um, um, what are you, what are you hearing um, out there, and what, what is of, of greatest interest to you as you look at this now pandemic?
3: Well, I think one of the most interesting things to me is that you know, remember the outbreak in northern Italy. And that seemed an odd place for the coronavirus to take off. But it turns out that there are lots and lots of Chinese living in northern Italy doing work uh, mimicking the brand names of uh, expensive items of apparel and uh, handbags and so forth. So it's quite clear that it's very likely, I I can't prove this, that one or more of those Chinese went back to China and brought back the virus to Italy. And that infected so many people in Europe and continues to do so.
0: So, David, um, in terms of your long experience, how does this compare, maybe um, experientially, to the way that the world has responded uh, to other outbreaks um, at other times and places?
3: Well, I don't think there is another comparison. The only the only point of content is China's previous virus, the SARS virus, back in two thousand three, but. This seems to be worse in that the, the virus seems to be spreading exponentially in different parts of the world, not just in China, although, of course, most of the deaths have occurred in China. Although we now see that there have been some deaths reported in the UK. So uh, the, the global reaction, I think corresponds to a sense that even though the World Health Organization is not using the word pandemic, many countries seem to regard as exactly that, an epidemic on a global scale with no end in sight.
0: I'm talking with Dr. David Aikman. Um, David, let's pivot um, to the elections in Israel. Tell uh, Tell us what's happening there.
3: It's the third election in less than a year, and the handwriting on the wall seems to be that the results are going to be as inclusive as they were for the previous two elections, which is very unfortunate because this kind of uncertainty is no good for any country, especially Israel, which faces such important international challenges. So I have a feeling though that the result might actually support the notion that Bibi Netanyahu, the Prime Minister, will in fact get enough votes for parties willing to support him to be able to form a government. and I mean all he basically needs Is a total of 62 in the Knesset, the Israeli parliament. And it may be that some of the other parties have actually uh, done well enough to provide support for him without having any restrictive obligations on his government policies. So I think it's possible he may break through this time.
0: All right. um, Remind us, you know, I mean, I mean, we know we have this close relationship with Israel. We know we have their back. But remind us this 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 process seems a little crazy to us that they have had this third election um, and and they're going around the same poll again. It's so different here in the United States. Um, Remind us again. About the the way in which a parliamentary process is actually how the government is formed.
3: Well, in Israel, as in other parliamentary systems, the government in office has to secure a majority of members of parliament. So, for example, there was a recent election in Great Britain and the The acting prime minister, or no, the the prime minister in charge, uh, Boris Johnson, actually had an overwhelming majority for his particular party, the Conservatives. But in many other parts of the world, you have problems where some parties are just very uncertain whether they want to continue supporting the governing party. Now, the governing party may be center-left or center-right, as it is in Israel. And it's when you get center-left and center-right that you have problems where other parties sometimes will say, we can't go along with the prevailing regime's policy. We require changes in different areas. And that, unfortunately, has been what has basically stifled any result in the uh, the Israeli election. Abidur Lieberman, the far-right political leader who previously supported the Benjamin Netanyahu government, is not doing so this time. And if his party changed its approach, then Netanyahu would... Will be able to prevail as prime minister. But it's it's not clear at this point whether he will get enough from other parties to do so.
0: All right. I'm talking with Dr. David Aikman. He's the editor of Godspeed magazine. When we come back, we're going to pivot to uh, Syria and the situation uh, in the region of Idlib. We have learned this morning that uh, Turkey's warplanes are flying there even today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So we had uh, David Eubank on the program a a couple of weeks ago um, from the Free Burma Rangers who are on the ground just outside of Idlib uh, province in Syria. And they are tending to the flow of refugees there. Um, David, that flow of refugees has gotten even greater just in the last couple of days and even overnight as Turkey's warplanes are now doing battle directly with the Syrian government. Give us an update on what's happening in in this uh, in this conflicted area.
3: Well, essentially, the Turkish government is so fed up that NATO, and particularly the European component of NATO, is not supporting Turkey in its battle against the Assad regime and its Russian supporters, especially Russian air power, that it is turned on the tap of the refugee crisis by allowing hundreds of thousands of refugees who had previously been living in Turkey to cross the border into Greece. They actually lied to the refugees. They said, if you head for the Greek border with Turkey, you will get in, you'll be able to go to Europe. But when they tried to get there, the Greeks fiercely resisted and via tear gas. And so only a fraction of the refugees were able to get through, but enough seriously to destabilize Greek Greece because the Greek islands have been the destination of people setting off in canoes and dinghies, rubber dinghies, from Turkish islands in the, in the Aegean. It's a very dangerous situation. It's just as dangerous as the original um, crisis back in 2015. So we don't know what will happen. I mean, uh, somehow or other, Turkey needs the support of Europe and the NATO allies before it's going to basically stop the refugee flow. I
0: don't. I mean, this is one of those situations, David, where it, it's it is hard to know um, precisely how to pray. It's hard to know. I mean, other than. Life is unlivable for people in this region, and increasingly, you know, NGOs are—I mean, they pulled out of this portion of Syria um, some time ago, um, and routes out of uh, of this region of Syria, which were opened for what some seventy-two hours, apparently, those um, those routes uh, are already closed again, and so um, go ahead.
3: That's- also, coming, the challenge is that these refugees who are heading across the Turkish border into Greece are not all from, from the Middle East. Some of them, a lot of them are from Afghanistan. In fact, the largest component of refugees reported by the BBC last night were indeed from Afghanistan. And so you have essentially the whole world south of the equator and east of Suez thinking that if they want a decent life, all they have to do is to get into Europe, some part of Europe, preferably the UK, but if not any part of Europe that will take them. And they will have. Uh, essentially an opportunity for a decent economic and social life. It's the product of failed states throughout the region of the Middle East and beyond.
0: You know, I think that this kind of circle back all the way back around to um, where where we started. I mean, you and I didn't start our conversation, but I, I started the conversation before you came on. You know, and that is this this peace that has been brokered between the United States and the Taliban in Afghanistan. Um, and again, we talk about failed states and we talk about the basis of rebuilding a functional state. Um, the foundational right, right. pieces in many and many of these places, the foundational pieces for a successful democracy simply don't exist. And so um, I well, think that. Yeah. Go ahead.
3: Well, I think it, it boils down to a mistaken view of human nature. The Christian worldview that human nature is basically flawed uh, in terms of it disobeys the instructions of its maker and the instructions of human beings' functions is apparent throughout the world. And if you have any regime that has a different view of human nature, for example, if it is a very authoritarian. Muslim regime, and particularly if it's a communist regime, which denies all kinds of freedom of conscience, then you're going to have very serious problems.
0: David Aikman, uh, thank you, as always, for bringing us um, the right and righteous perspective on the headline news around the globe. That is David Aikman, editor of Godspeed magazine. Thank you so much, sir.
3: Thank you, Carmen. Glad to be on. Very long. Thank you
0: we'll be right back. All right, so uh, if you haven't had an opportunity to and you want a copy of Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation, we are giving away copies today. All you have to do is text the word book to 9, what, what is it, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four 2484 text the word book to 877-933-2484. The book you're looking for is Speak the Truth. The author is yours truly, Carmen LaBerge. Uh, For those of you who want to know what translation I read Psalm 91 from, it was the message. For those of you who have a favorite translation um, or paraphrase that is not the message, okay, you have access to Psalm 91 um, all over the place. So, go read it yourself in your preferred translation. There you go. Um, and uh, and yes, I could do public word studies on plague and pestilence, which are the words used in Psalm 91 in most historic translations of that text. There you go. little interaction with those of you on my text line today. Uh, greetings and, and just mutual affection to everybody as you go out into the world that God so loves as his agents of grace. Have a great day and God bless.